1: Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, this is David Feingold, the president of Chatham University and your host for the Future of Higher Education podcast on the New Books Network. I'm back today with Michael Horowitz, the founder and president of TCS Education System based in Chicago, Illinois. Michael, great to have you back on the program. Wonderful to be here. Michael, when, when we last spoke, you had just started to describe the evolution of the TCS network, um, the, the creation of it from the, the splitting of the central office from the Chicago grad school and then the addition of Pacific Oak schools. Um, could you tell us about uh, the addition of the subsequent members, how those came about and sort of take us up to, to the current day in terms of, of, of the membership of the network?
0: All of our colleges and universities uh, have come to us through a kind of uh, fortuitous process of heavy networking and outreach through a lot of channels. And then as we gain traction, uh, getting referrals from trusted mutual sources, and I'll get to that one in a bit, Uh, the colleges of law, uh, again, part of our network. Uh, We had a lawyer that was helping us form the system that said, you know, there's this whole segment of law schools accredited by the California bar. So they really have much more of a practitioner, uh, part-time adult student. uh, And he came to know this really excellent place that had been around for about 40 years called the Santa Barbara and Ventura Colleges of Law. And they had operated, uh, again, as a night school for working adults since inception, uh, had graduated uh, some very prominent attorneys in that area. And the board and the dean at the time said, you know, we we live hand to mouth and we're always, we're stable. We even have money in the bank, but we want to do more in terms of technology. We'd like to explore new programs uh we'd like to become regionally accredited and be able to offer federal financial aid so uh that that's an example of an institution that was stable, not distressed, and the leadership and board said you know we we want more, and we see the the possibilities here so that was number three uh Saybrook University, which is truly having the best days in its history. Uh, right now, uh, was more or less referred to us by a major accreditor, WASC. Uh, I chaired the team uh, that visited them around 2014, and the liaison, uh, the vice president at WASC, Barbara Gross-Davis, said, you know, this is a really compelling institution, and periodically it's it's always on the edge. They can't quite seem to get the the resources to really galvanize their uh, really groundbreaking low residency model which predates the internet and i said well your own policies would preclude us talking to them uh, for a year but she must have done something uh behind the scenes a year a year to the day of the end of the visit the president called me up you know that was a great example the board chair at the time Uh, was really able uh, to push it through and kind of at a record pace compared to all of our other affiliations because she said it's time for Saybrook to transform. She herself was an alumna of their PhD in organizational change. And she said, we've looked at multiple options to grow and be better. We like this one. Let's go. Uh, And then... uh, Having not found a college with a medical school, which was part of my uh, initial vision, I partnered with our chief operating officer, and we literally set off on a cross-country tour of talking uh, to healthcare leaders in cities uh, that we thought would welcome a new osteopathic medical school. We had reason to believe that that model was a better fit than the allopathic model, and it's turning out to be so. And just by dint of having a common consultant uh, that had been that is an expert in osteopathic medical education, she knew of a group uh, that was trying to form a school in Wichita, and said, "You know, I think you two ought to meet because they have uh, incorporated as a." higher education entity. They're pursuing degree granting status. They've made initial steps to get the osteopathic medical accreditation. My perception, this is the consultant, that on their own, they don't have the bandwidth to execute on standing up a school. They have a lot of great community support. They have an idea for downtown uh, redevelopment. Uh, They have the city that you know, wants to give tax credits to the developer of the building. And so that was a great and unique one for us because it was just a bit ahead of a startup. And it, it turned out to be a three-way deal because there's a foundation called the Riverside Health Foundation in Wichita that said, you know, we're prepared to give $15 million to a nonprofit medical school that opens, uh, they were not willing to do it uh, with the existing entity because they didn't have the confidence to execute. So it's the first time where a, uh, a, don- a a donor is a third party to a new affiliation for us. And of course, that foundation brought board members and community support, and it's, it's proving to be a, a great venture for us and that's where and, we are today.
1: And can I ask you on the osteopathic one cuz as you you noted this is a bit of a departure in that it was a, a a not even quite a new entity it was the the starting point for for actors to cre- create one um there, there are a number of osteopathic medical schools around the country. Had, had you spoken with and looked at the potential to integrate an existing entity, and there just wasn't a fit or interest in the network, or, or what led you to decide that for this, it was a startup that made
0: sense. Yeah, as I've done in many other uh, key areas, or with institutions I've heard about, I tried outreach, and it was just crickets. Uh, including through these uh, osteopathic consultants that said, you know, we'll put the word out to existing. And they said, we, we haven't found uh, the interest, but this group in, in Wichita would like to meet with you. And in some ways we thought, and I think we're, it's in many ways harder and in other ways easier to do something from the ground up. Uh, we have the opportunity to create the culture and be a part of something very exciting from the very beginning. And of course it's it's on us and the team that's been hired locally to execute on this.
1: And and in terms of the student profile, um, a, a lot of your other programs, uh, as you've described the history, the law school, Saybrook, the Chicago grad, they focus predominantly on working adults as your 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 core market. Is that true for the osteopathic school as well? Because I think historically those are more students coming straight from uh, university and, and, and moving into medical school.
0: So that that's true. Um, today, uh, two of our institutions, Pacific Oaks, had this before TCS, and the Chicago School has added this. Have undergraduate programs again, more of a working adult, uh, still thirty. 32 years old, even at the undergrad level. So it will bring us a new type of student. I will say this, that osteopathic medicine for a 100 years has been known for a more diverse approach to enrollment, whether it's ethnic, racial experience. We're also noting that many healthcare professionals who are, for example, nurses, or certainly in our case, we hope, Professions like mental health counselors are welcome in osteopathic medical schools. Uh, what it will have in common, though, is a professional student uh, who's really looking to go to a program uh, to study a profession and not so much for a campus-based uh, experience uh, that a younger undergrad might be seeking.
1: No no football team or... Uh... No football teams. Other such things, right.
0: Right. So we'll have to worry about opportunities for where they'll live. And, of course, uh, we're helping construct a fabulous educational building, but we won't have to do teams. And, again, being in a a fairly large city, likely won't have to worry about food service and, and other kinds of amenities that are part of a full campus.
1: And with the funding of that local foundation, has that meant that it's really de-risked the investment for TCS in terms of the startup costs for this new venture?
0: I would say not really, <laughs> because it's uh, it's a very significant donation. I'm going to ballpark, you know, without bringing up a five-year budget, you really have to have access to about $100 million to start an osteopathic medical school. Uh, because you uh, you know you have to do a lot of upfront investment in personnel facilities and technology e- even to get in the door of application. And long term, almost every uh, medical school I've looked at runs a surplus, but it's a good four or five years, right till you because especially these days, the osteopathic accreditor limits, the class size for a couple of years till they merit a further step in their process. So it's, it's a very welcome uh, and you know no strings attached other than we successfully opened the school, uh, but it didn't de-risk it. I will say that our structure as a nonprofit system, our ability to borrow uh, based on being a system versus an individual entity, Because there are startup schools that borrow on the open market, and the interest rate is much higher than what we've been able to get uh, for the medical school.
1: Great. Um, I think one other entity that that was a part of the network and that you subsequently integrated into the Chicago School is the nursing school in 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 Texas. Can you say a little bit about how they came in and and why the decision in that case? Because nursing is quite a departure from what the 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 Chicago school had been doing before, obviously both in health science, but but a bit of a different uh, uh, part right. of that field.
0: and the the Chicago School uh, has always had the mission. That is focused on psychology and behavioral and health sciences. So it was kind of a untapped uh, part of the mission, or not fully tapped. Uh, Dallas Nursing Institute was a very uh, feisty, tiny nursing school. Initially started as a family for profit uh, to uh, create a African American workforce in Dallas at the uh, LVN level below the RN, uh, it it eventually added the RN, and was bought by a big for-profit that had the and then had the unfortunate history of near collapse and bank the the parent company went bankrupt. We heard from someone in our network that said, you know, this school is likely to close. We know you're interested in nursing. Do you want to talk to them? Well, you'd have to buy them you know, you'd essentially be buying them for dollars that would not be significant because that's not our model to own or purchase. We did that. Uh, it, it proved to be quite a challenge because, as you can imagine, for-profits going bankrupt, not a really great, excellent educational environment. Uh, we put a lot into improving every manner of resource, notably the academic. And then with the Chicago School's aspiration to go into new health science fields, we thought that merging, becoming part of a fully accredited, I I know we don't call them regional anymore, but for lack of a better word, regionally accredited uh, institution with higher degree levels, future opportunity to advance to bachelor's and higher would be easier the Dallas Nursing Institute had a national level of accreditation, which, as you know, is is not considered on par with the uh, formerly regional accreditors.
1: And and Michael, as you've thought about that, the expansion, I was curious how you thought about it relative to the new osteopathic medical school. In some ways, you might think nursing is as good a fit with that as the other, um, as with the the psychology. And so... Did you think of putting all three in one entity? Did you debate the merits of of where it fitted best and just not just in that specific question, but it's curious how you think about it in terms of the way the the network of institutions functions
0: yeah, well, timing is everything uh to some extent. We didn't have the medical school at that point at the stage it is, and what's clear in attempting to stand up a medical school is you have to do that first. And that, and so while in the future we anticipate the medical school will have other programs, it's almost a non-starter to try and implement them today, uh, especially since it's the osteopathic medical accreditor that is initially uh, both the programmatic and institutional accreditors. So we'll start there. Uh, you know, it's, a, it's entirely possible that the Chicago School and our other colleges will offer nursing or mental health programs on site or through a hybrid model at the medical school. So all in good time. And at the same time, uh, psychiatric nursing is probably the highest need aspect of nursing. So there is a, an academic logic to Pairing psychology in a fully integrative healthcare model.
1: That's great. Um, can you, as as you've described and and learned from adding all of, of these different components to to the network, um, what have you concluded about which institutions are are a good fit for TCS, and and are there others you've looked at and you've thought, you know, this is a good place, but but it doesn't fit. How 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 have you come to trying to think about what what you know? candidates and future growth might look like?
0: Well, I'm consoled by our board members who in business say, you know, it's no different that if you're doing business deals, uh, you you look at 100 to do one. And so we've come to learn that it's going to be the same for us. So de facto, most institutions are not a fit, whether it's uh, pace of how they operate, uh, they may have had potential, but have squandered it. Uh, they, they're not interested in a integrated shared governance model kind of system. So I would say in our current point of view is when we identify uh, fields that are really a great opportunity and need for us, we should think about organic development. So for example, Uh, Saybrook University, uh, which started as psychology and added integrative health, again, before they joined TCS, is now looking at the area of art and design. They have programs historically in creativity. Uh, It's just a very forward-looking institution. So while we also would welcome an explicit school of art and design, we think that would be a good fit. It's, it's, it's entirely possible we could be more successful by helping Saybrook form a college of art and design uh, than to exclusively focus on finding it outside. And I think today we have five institutions that likely can be the base for many, many uh, disciplines and schools that we would contemplate.
1: In terms of understanding how the governance works, so so you described, you know, the the investment uh to, to build the full osteopathic medical school till it's it's self-sustaining as, as about a hundred million dollars and even with you know, fifteen million from the local foundation, that, that's a that's a major commitment for the for the TCS and for the network. How does that work in terms of the other member institutions and thinking about, you know, uh, taking on this risk, what what are the benefits to them if it's successful? Because obviously, if it doesn't work, that impacts all of them, right? And so, I'm I'm just curious how how you sort of think about this is to the good of the whole of the network, but it's also, you know, it's it's a big investment for us all to make.
0: Yeah, we go by this uh, mantra of radical cooperation, and I think it's not lost on anyone that. We share in the wins and we share in the losses. And so we believe that it's more likely that all of our institutions will win uh, together. You know, we also talk about better together. So you're right that uh, if we fail in opening our medical school, that would be a big blow collectively. We are fairly confident that we will succeed. And we think that that will bring cachet to everybody. You know, it's it's one more marker of success. It's another physical location. It's another example of community success by working with the city of Wichita and state of Kansas. Uh, it's a win for private nonprofit. So uh, those are considered risks that every institution that joins us Takes there's there's no doubt about it. Uh, just as I, you know, I'm sure in a public system, if there's a major failure at one of the campuses, it's it's most impactful at that campus, and yet it's a blow uh, to the system. So I I think some of these ways of looking at the world are perhaps newer to higher ed. I'm not sure they're they're really new to other sectors of the economy or. Of, of the world at large. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I'm curious, you've talked, um, you know, evolving through institutions that all have a fairly um, clearly defined specialization or set of specializations, and then some have added to that over time. Um, But there's also a geographic uh, dimension to your expansion. So many of those first... uh, affiliates were out in California and you obviously had started in Chicago I, the Chicago schools subsequently expanded geographically now you've ended the middle of the country with with Dallas and 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 with Wichita H- how do you think about it in terms of of the, the geography do, as you develop sites do you think about bringing other parts of the network to those sites and do you look at other parts of the country and say, like, you know, the Southwest is growing really robustly, but we're not, we don't have much of a presence there. How do we think about that in our our future plans?
0: That is uh, really a strategic question that we contemplate. Uh, I don't know what to make of this phrase that I've now heard a couple of times in the conversations that every organization is becoming a technology organization. I think what's really happened in this era is we've demonstrated that you can partner nationally and globally, and in some cases, direct proximity may not even be uh, the the most important precondition for partnership. We did a map for our last springboard meeting that showed we now have students in all fifty states and I believe territories because. Saybrook is low residency. The Chicago School, Pacific Oaks, and the Colleges of Law all have online. So we have students everywhere. I think we're now zeroing in on, well, that's really interesting. We have a lot of residents, for example, in the Southeast and in the Northeast. And so we are thinking about, does that suggest that one of our institutions should create a physical branch? Is it enough to amplify uh, the online uh, presence? Because more and more of our professional degrees can be delivered through an online and local internship or, or practicum model. So those are all conversations. And as I'm sure you've noted, it's it's an odd finding that online Enrollments seem to follow or like physical presence, not always. But I know that in Chicago, uh, there are many online students. I know that's the same in California, so it's not a hundred percent true. But even if they only come for commencement, uh, it's something that online students uh, take comfort in. And I've met, uh, it, I have met many graduates.
1: That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care. is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Yeah, no, I, I, absolutely. I, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit more about the the way in which the the network operates. There, there's the sort of the the clear benefits you brought in terms of access to capital, in terms of some of the the strong shared services. But I'm wondering more in terms of the things that have evolved through cooperation or sharing or learning among the partners when you bring them together and, and how, how that's evolved. And if there are a few examples you could point to where institutions have benefited from being part of this beyond you know, cost to capital or you know, better online marketing and, and other things that TCS is supplying to all the members.
0: That's very profound because as an academic, I started this with an academic vision and then was positively overwhelmed with all the infrastructure we could bring to bear. My dream was to create that kind of academic partnership. There are so many examples. Let's start at the board of trustees level. We don't have an academic committee at the TCS system board. Instead, we have the committee on academic collaboration. So we involve trustees from all the colleges with an explicit mandate, not to require, but to facilitate and support. And so they give out innovation awards for activity that, that, that will benefit across the colleges. Most recently, uh, the medical school uh, put up a project on team-based learning that clearly will benefit all. The Chicago school put up a writing center Uh, project that all our colleges have articulated. And again, just that interchange among board members is very meaningful. And we've had cases of uh, one of our Wichita board members at the Medical School Kansas. Board members is the CEO of a rural hospital in Kansas, introduced to us by a Saybrook University board member. So that's the board level. Once a year, we bring together about 100 faculty under the rubric of the academic assembly and facilitated by our system cao who doesn't directly have faculty or students serves this facilitating role the faculty set the agenda what do you want to talk about what do you want to explore what resources can we bring to bear the faculty have expressed a lot of interest in developing their online capability and of course at the system level we have the instructional design and distance education teaching experts. So that's an example there. During the pandemic, the President's Council, which is seven of my direct reports at the system office and our five presidents, I can't tell you what a benefit that was psychologically, emotionally to have a unified leadership team, uh, thinking through all the challenges of the pandemic Remote education, remote workforce, now vaccine policies, COVID, uh, uproar. You know, no matter what you do, there's uproar one way or the other. I know you know this. Just having that team that is uh, physically apart and unified around a common mission, very, very helpful. We have the launch of social work this past year done jointly across three degree levels by Pacific Oaks and Saybrook, Saybrook at the doctoral level, Pacific Oaks bachelor and master's, to ensure ease of transfer across degree levels. So I could go on and on. I I think this is only going to build as we look at dual degrees. Uh, I I think uh, our institutions will continue to offer the full bachelors, but with a heavier emphasis on entry to the profession so there's big opportunity to partner on general education and the kinds of courses that are not specialized
1: i am curious as as you look out over the the coming decade for higher ed um we've all uh, experienced seen you know nathan graw's work um on the declining demographics of high school graduates in the northeast in the midwest um you mentioned that the TCS model and the looking for these kinds of partnerships and integration is, is common in other sectors, but, but we haven't seen much of it in higher ed. We, we have state systems, um, and some of those have been consolidating, like Georgia or recently here in Pennsylvania, but, but you're among the, 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 the rare number of those who are, have built a system within the private nonprofit side. And most of the others, as we talked about last time, are, are much more centrally controlled, like National University or St. Leo. So I'm curious, as you look at the pressures folks are facing, declining customer base in many parts of the country, cost pressures, discounting pressures, do you see more of a move toward TCS-like systems? And you know, are, are you seeing that in terms of the the people coming to you for the secret sauce or, or, or more prospects for you than you maybe were seeing in, in prior years.
0: There are more prospects at the moment. And I don't see a big wave toward adoption of our model. Our model is very public. I've talked to many groups that would form incredible affinity groups from the way I look at it. Uh, there doesn't seem to be the energy uh, toward collaboration that I think the outside public would anticipate for higher education, even in, in some bigger universities where I'm sure you've experienced it's, it's hard to get collaboration across schools and departments within uh, one, one university. I think what I'm saying accelerate is the, uh, the bankruptcy and dissolution of uh, of more colleges. Again, the pace though is so slow. So maybe 10 years ago it was one or two a year, and now it's five. So I'm not sure other than the short-term headlines in the local community, people are experiencing it as a wave. Whether it gets to more dramatic, I don't know, because I also see many institutions like yours adopting innovative methods for education, a outward orientation toward understanding the student and the market. So maybe we will have, you know, continued separation of stronger and stronger institutions. And it seems like there's a lifeline that for good or bad is longer uh, for, for private nonprofit institutions. Again, I see a similar Pattern in the nonprofit space outside higher ed. Too many overlapping entities, many with great distinct missions, but would benefit from collaboration. And uh, I've decided to spend less time wondering why it doesn't happen and continuing to create opportunity and success for our institutions and anyone uh, that wants to join us. I am very open to publicly talking about the model. I don't think it's complex. I think the execution is complex. And as I uh, interface with boards of trustees, who are all volunteers, I, I start to understand why the momentum toward closure becomes more powerful uh, than, than doing something different. Doing something different is a lot of effort, uh, even on the part of the board. I described you know the the remaining board members of Pacific Oaks who who all of a sudden were spending a full work week, probably or more, besides their day job rescuing Pacific Oaks and guiding them into our system. And so it's 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 easier from a governance perspective to fold the tent. And what I've seen is when colleges uh, close their doors, there are local beneficiaries, namely the other colleges. Uh, in their area. We're happy to take the students, uh, the regulators. They help in a way they're likely relieved to have a weak player, you know, off their list and be able to focus on on stronger members.
1: Uh, and I certainly understand all the dynamics you described, but, but I would also hope, I mean, as you shared in several of the ones you ended up acquiring, the accreditors said, we know you have a model that work and we think these are worth saving. And, and, and I do feel like most of the trustees I've met at these institutions, while they're volunteer, they're there because they care deeply about the success of the institution. And so I I was fairly taken aback when you mentioned that, you know, the Pacific Oaks uh, prior president was, was, you know, more more committed to closing than to thinking about this option it would seem to me that institutions getting to the point where they that they recognize they may have some challenges that if there's something that could preserve the livelihoods of their employees preserve the mission and the students and maybe even bring additional benefits that that would be an option you would think they would that they would rapidly, you know, want to consider versus versus closure, which is obviously very painful for all of those stakeholders.
0: Well, I, I hope you'll help me get out the word <laughs> to the higher ed community. Uh it it is interesting. I I do think there's always the need for continued evolution of the skills of trustees. You know, in some ways we put them in a tough spot. Uh many have never served in this capacity. Uh, And it's been interesting to see that uh, the level of information and education is not uh, standard. In many cases, they're just not aware of the dynamics of the business and the larger marketplace. So as presidents, I think it's our obligation to ensure they get that information.
1: Yeah. And- to the extent there is that education, a lot of it was based around the model of self-standing single institutions, right? And so it may not necessarily be the best preparation for this new world that's come.
0: Yeah, all, all these years into the profession sector of higher ed, it's still remarkable that people think about things like a banking relationship or the technology provider as uniquely distinct or important to be distinct for the college when it it literally has nothing to do with delivering education, but further by collaborating on those non-student facing uh, opportunities, you may free up resources, you likely will, for that educational
1: mission. That's that. That's really, really well put. Uh, Michael, I wanted to wind up just asking a few broader questions to reflect on, on, on your leadership. Um, as you look back and think about what what were the experiences that you've had that you feel most prepared you for being a really innovative leader within first the Chicago School and now with TCS, um, either experiences there or, or before you took on the role that have helped you to be successful in this kind of radical collaborative model?
0: Well, I think I talked about it in part one that I was a youth leader uh, in a youth movement uh, which I attribute uh, much of my success to learning the dynamics of an organization, being able to observe it, to participate in it. In some ways, it's no different how old you get, uh, keeping energy and urgency high, understanding, bringing groups together. I, I've always had an interest, uh, my parents' uh, experiences, immigrants and refugees, in politics, I think that's uh, you know a key component of being a leader: awareness of your internal and external politics. Uh, getting my PhD in in a medical school and being able to observe uh, dynamics between and within professions has been key. And you know, I'll say mentoring, however someone comes about it, I was fortunate to have some great teachers, whether it was a direct boss, uh, someone that I sought out that was an experienced president, uh, and uh, going to conferences, uh, meeting people that I thought I could model uh, some of the attributes, uh, learn something from, uh, and, and board members uh, that, that kind of extended their success in other fields uh, both to reassure me when there were problems. You know, I think the first time uh, as, as educational leaders, we deal with something we may not have come out of the business sector. So we haven't deal, dealt with this business issue or this regulatory issue. Most leaders and sectors have. Uh, and so all of those things uh, have come together, I think, in a, in a powerful and effective way. And I, I surely enjoy these days uh, focusing on developing leaders within TCS. Great.
1: Can, can you talk about what, what have been the greatest challenges that you faced faced, um, either in leading the Chicago School or TCS, and, and how did you go about addressing them?
0: Well, one of my mentors, uh, Harry O'Donnell, who was the president of the American Schools of Professional Psychology, he would say, uh, We've got everything under control except the people, <laughs> and uh, we are a, we are a people-intensive sector, as you well know. So it doesn't matter how great your plans and your procedures are, unless you can persuade and motivate and inspire. So the biggest challenge, uh, you know, it's it's continually recurring. You find that whatever you've set out to do isn't as well understood or executed as you hoped. And I, I find the, uh, the biggest help in a challenge like that is to immerse myself directly, uh, not necessarily to be the one driving the solution, but to, to hear, because uh, another thing Harry would do, as he was president at, at that point of a 15 campus institution. So and it was the days of the, of the of the old fashioned phone. He'd pick up the phone. It wasn't screened, and and it might be, you know, an irate student. And then I'd get a call, and he'd say, "Hey, I just had a really interesting conversation uh, with one of your fans," and he he also modeled this idea of bring me any problem. I'm going to be calm, and I'm going to. Uh, stay in there and and help you figure it out. So again, I I was impressed. He wasn't afraid to hear from anybody, students, staff, faculty, and then wanted to unpack. I was a dean of a campus, you know, is this something that needs to be solved? How can we do it? So I like uh, what I, I have a calendar of attending wherever possible, our board meetings in person at all the colleges, and I'll typically extend that and afford an opportunity to meet faculty, staff, students, and just get the ground view. It's 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 fascinating uh, what you learn at, at a Saybrook residency. I introduced myself to a student, and she said, "Oh, TCS. So you're you're the guy who gives us that uh, Canvas learning platform, because I guess uh, you know." We, we're, we have the logo there. I said, okay, well, that's, that's surely not the full representation I'm looking for, but it's very interesting what a specific student has picked up on. Uh, you know, at another visit, I might talk to someone in student services that will give me that ground view inside of, in, in a matrix organization, where's the log jam? Uh, is it, it's usually a shared log jam, but I'll get to here, is it because our processes remain too manual? Uh, are we not doing, uh, sufficient training at either the system office or the college level? Have we had turnover? So you, you count on leaders to provide that insight. And yet there's something very specific and unique you get by walking among different constituents
1: absolutely you've talked about for yourself and and just gave a great example of the power of mentors and in in your own development and and success as a leader as you speak to people who are thinking about that they might want to be a a college president whether it's within TCS or or outside the system what what lessons have you drawn from your experience in terms of of advice you would give people in, in thinking about this as a as a, as a possible career trajectory? I,
0: I think it's a fabulous career, and we are welcoming new energetic talent into the space. I think for quite a few years, there's been a concern about the lack of diversity and also the aging out of uh, gentlemen like you and me. And uh, uh, Steve Trachtenberg, who is a really transformational President G.W. He was a great comedian as well, still is. But he said, you know, when when all the old guys from Brooklyn are gone—that's his background. You know, what are we going to do? And what we're going to do is we have to find new leaders from diverse communities. I'm especially proud of the uh, the talent we have within TCS at the president's level. We we have two. My successor at the Chicago School. Uh, Michelle Nilan, uh is an immigrant, you know, from Ireland, and Jack Paduntin at Pacific Oaks, an immigrant from Thailand, and we have uh, President Long and President Massan and President Niemer, who all came out of different kind of backgrounds within higher ed, uh, and we, we just need that, because it's it's a position where you're required to pull together Uh, skills and talents from so many sectors, it's really impossible for one individual to have it all. Uh, So it's someone that appreciates the range of requirements. Uh, I I attended one of those Harvard uh, summer seminars, you know, and and in the course, the professor asked for, well, name all your constituents. And by the time we got done listing all of them, you know, he said, well, and so there's 15 or 20 up here, and five of them are likely to be in market disagreement at any given time. And I said, hey, and I'll throw one more on there. at Pacific Oaks College, we have a children's school, so how about parents of of preschoolers? And of course, some colleges do operate uh, schools for children or other like but different institutions. So I, I think it's there's an incredible need uh, for talent. It's super rewarding because of the the mission of of educating our our nation's population. Uh, it's it's our face to the outside world. Luckily, we still have a, a strong reputation in the world at large. And I'm looking forward to welcoming back uh, more and more international students. So that's what I'd say. If you're if you it can be stereotyped as administration and people think uh, from a stereotype that's boring. And I assure you it's anything but. If you want a job that every day uh, presents a new challenge, uh, our chief of staff, Jerry Micus, calls it the X factor. You can count on, you'll have the strategy you're implementing and rest assured uh, factor X, Will, will pop up on any given day.
1: And I'm curious, And as you work as a system, um, is it something that you consciously try to foster across the system? So you obviously have your leaders of each institution, but are you looking at the next level and saying, we, we want to develop our, our own pipeline of talent, either to launch a new campus or program or or thinking about it beyond the institutional level, but sort of building your future leaders for TCS?
0: Well, our our boards at the college and the system have encouraged a focus on succession planning. And again, it's something we can do as a system because we have a segment of HR that is at the system level. We have Leadership Summit annually that brings the cabinets of all the colleges together. And we absolutely encourage all our presidents to look at their direct teams and development. In the case of the Kansas Health Science Center, the first president came. uh, She was a leader at the Chicago School. She was the dean of their largest campus, the online campus. So it's a perfect example of creating that opportunity. And while we don't exclusively hire in that way, we always encourage uh, people within to look at opportunities. And it's an explicit goal of my five-year vision to develop the workforce. Sometimes we develop the, the workforce and they leave us, sure. uh, but you, you you take that as part of the the lumps in development. I mean, we're happy that people get opportunities, but we believe that being a a learning and developing organization is is broadly a plus for us
1: but i would think that one of the nice things and and obviously the head of your new osteopathic school is a great example is for a lot of smaller private institutions the only way many people can advance is to leave whereas you have this opportunity to say oh well you're you know you're number 2 in enrollment here but you know we just had an opening and and so i could see that there would be real benefits to being able to think out longer term and and, and spot that talent.
0: And to your earlier point about being national, it's afforded us an opportunity to keep talent. Uh, We literally had someone in Chicago-based IT that said, I want to move to Dallas. Can I keep my job and work from the Dallas campus? And we said, you know, great idea. Let's do that. Uh, The president of our law school uh, was our first communications and uh, PR director, and he wanted the opportunity to work in operations. The Chicago School gave him a chance to be dean of a campus, and he went on in a competitive search to be chosen as president of the law school. So, yes, uh, it's and we've had people leave campus and go to the system, and vice versa. We also never let a uh, a campus key position drop. So our system CAO is doubling right now as the Saybrook CAO, because they're in the middle of a search, and she in turn is using it as an opportunity to develop a leader on her team to learn more about college academic leadership, because maybe in the future, that person will want to be a, a college VPAA or provost.
1: That- Those are really great examples. Well, Michael, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us. It's been a real pleasure to learn more about the system and your own leadership journey and and wish you all the best uh, for for, uh, the future of the system.
0: Thank you so much, David, and back at you and look forward to connecting in the future.
1: Great. Thanks.